I'm Stephen, he's Chris, and this is Mobile Arcade Club, a show where we take a look at games from Apple Arcade each episode and talk about what works, what doesn't, and hopefully let you know if it's something you might want to try. On this episode, I feed little green gremlins by cutting the rope in Cut the Rope Remastered, and Chris tries his hand at the Sudoku that loves you. Good Sudoku. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the Mobile Arcade Club. Thank you once again for joining us. On this episode, we are checking out Cut the Rope Remastered and Good Sudoku Plus. Two quite different games, but uh, both employing some level of puzzle solving. Uh, But Stephen, we'll start with you because you spent a fair bit of time with Cut the Rope Remastered, which is, as the name suggests, a revisitation of a bit of an iOS classic, and it's had quite the facelift. So please do share. Yeah, absolutely. So if if anyone isn't aware, because, gosh, it was a fair while ago, the original Cut the Rope came out in about 2010 on iOS and probably a whole bunch of other places, but I played it on my phone. Um, And it's this one was a bit interesting because it came out around the same time as all of these plus versions where they're sort of grabbing the original version of a fairly popular game, modernizing it so that it works on new phones and either making it free or getting rid of in-app purchasey stuff. This is not quite the same, even though it's, you know, it is still a, a classic of the App Store. It is a full-on sort of remaster, as the title implies. So it goes from, you know, 2D hand-drawn sort of graphic styles to fully 3D graphic styles. Uh, and just the structure of it from memory is a little bit different to how how the original game was. Um, but yeah, I thought that's worthwhile getting out of the way to begin with. But if you've never played this game before, A, that's very surprising, but B, we'll see if we can give you a bit of an indication of what you're in for. It's a a puzzle game. It's fairly straightforward to understand because it all sort of plays around with the idea of sort of gravity and physics. And you have a little dinosaur, green, reptile-y, alien, I'm not quite sure, but a little green creature who is very hungry and their name is Om Nom because- it was 2010 and we were all weirdos on the internet back then. <laughs> but you need to, you, there is candy on the board. The candy is often held in place by ropes and you need to, surprise, surprise, cut the rope in a specific order, a specific way in order to get that candy to Omnom's mouth. And Omnom will be very happy if they can eat three candies, but they'll be happy enough to let you go to the next level, even with just one candy. That's fine. Uh, and it sort of goes with that similar similar to a lot of mobile games where you've got the three-star way you can get through a level. You, one star is enough to go to the next one, but if you you know want to really feel like you've mastered a level, you want to go for that three-star rating and things like that. And But yeah, it's it's really, it's super easy to understand because it is that physics-based gravity, you know, something falls when you cut it. It's It, it makes perfect sense, so it's super easy to approach. Have you ever played any of the Cut the Rope games before yourself, Chris? Yeah, I did play some of the original way back in the day, uh, back during a time where for any of our younger listeners, uh, there were things called iPod touches, which were essentially iPhones without the phone uh, functionality, which you probably would go back and think, well, what's the point? Because, uh, you know, we all have all in one devices now. Um, but yeah, it was 
During an era, as you say, that that three-star method of scoring or that way of progression was very, very popular at the time. And it's something that does seem to have uh, withstood the test of time with Mm -hmm. a lot of mobile games as well. But also, uh, as you mentioned, Stephen, there's that physics-based gameplay, which, again, was very popular for the era because that was around the time of Angry Birds and Mm. uh, a lot of those games which involved some level of building destruction or trying to you know move one object to you know from point a to point b using physics along the way factoring in okay if i uh, put this amount of momentum or you know cut this then what angle will it drop at so yeah there's uh, certainly uh, a bit of that gameplay that was very popular at the time and not that i've played cut the rope remastered but i can't imagine it would have aged too much i imagine the gameplay would have held up reasonably well yeah i think it's a it's a kind of gameplay especially that sort of physics based playing around with something and it's a satisfying toy to play with sort of idea that as you say is kind of a a concept that has really stood the test of time we've even covered something like spire blast in an earlier episode which mm. while not exactly the same at, at all it still employs that idea of it's fun and satisfying to touch things and have them react to the way that you have interacted with the world. I guess you cut the rope, the thing that was hanging from the rope falls. You you get a have a candy fall into a bubble and that bubble will start rising towards the top because it's so light. You can pop the bubble and it falls again. And that sort of interacting with the world in that way is is just innately satisfying. And that's what I think makes these games so immediately accessible. You don't have to really understand a complex like puzzle system like you might for other more traditional puzzle games like your Tetris or Puyo Puyo or something like that. This is really, if you know that something falls when something's not holding it up, you really have all of the background knowledge that you need to eventually master something like this. And it is interesting because the game does add a little bit more complication as you go along. So as well as cutting the ropes, you have those bubbles I mentioned before, which can rise when something's in the bubble, it rises to the top of the screen, whether that's the candy you want to feed Om Nom or potentially even Om Nom themselves can get caught in this bubble and you can maneuver them to a place where they can you know, maybe bring Om Nom to the candy rather than bring the candy to Om Nom. And yeah, it's super, super easy to understand what's going on and just fun to play with. Personally, I it didn't light my fire though. Like I as much as I enjoy how easy it is to pick up and play, I think for that reason, for my tastes personally, it didn't do a lot for me because I th- there's some challenge here, but it's not the kind of challenge that I typically look for in a game. It's um yeah, so it's almost so non-committal, so casual to the point where I didn't really find myself uh, looking forward to playing it. It didn't grab me and engage me in the way that other games might. So I think it's it's something that's, especially if you've got Apple Arcade, it's easily worth a try because you'll understand it immediately within, you know, within a couple of minutes, you'll know this is a game that you either enjoy playing with or enjoy the actual challenge aspects of how you can you know, cutting the ropes in different orders and popping bubbles at different times. There, there is a lot going on because of that physics-based way of playing. You 
a lot of it is going to be what order do you do things in and timing itself can be particularly important because you know if you cut a rope when it's swinging in a particular direction momentum can come into it so there are a lot of these toy-like enjoyable ways of interacting with the world um yeah it didn't light my fire personally but i think it's one of those ones that you will immediately decide whether or not it it works for you and you know, it was it was fun to begin with for me so it's worth trying for that uh for that alone, uh, whether it sticks with you is probably a matter of taste, but I'd say it's worth a try at, at very least because it's fun for those first first few levels until you, you know, reach a point where you think, yep, I've had my fun and put it down like I did. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that if you're looking for an Apple Arcade puzzler that has perhaps a little bit more strategy and a little bit more challenge to it, then maybe have a look at Spin, uh, because I do recall we both did enjoy Spin uh, a couple of months back uh, by the Australian, um, predominantly Australian team, SMG Studio, uh, because that was a, a really great uh, puzzle game that I think uses some of the similar physics and momentum-based principles that Cut the Rope does, uh, albeit in sort of more of a faster-paced flow state sort of way, uh, which I think, judging by the visuals, you can see that Cut the Rope and you know, Cut the Rope Remastered is very much aimed at sort of, you know, family players. So mm. it's aimed at anyone. It's got these, you know, very cute little uh, mascot little creature uh, that's, you know, very, very enticing to, to the younger players and, oh, you know, very, just, very just pretty some, design. Just on that character, gosh, it's so, it's like almost saccharine in how sweet and endearing it is. Like, it's one of those things that for the first little while, I was like, oh my gosh, this thing is so adorable. It just, like... I I liked to have fun when the candy gets close to its mouth. It just like opens up and goes like, ah, it's like, it just makes this really cute, adorable sound. Um, but it's that kind of sweet that it's like, okay, now I'm finished with that sweet. That's almost a bit much to have long term. But yeah, gosh, it's these are characters that are designed to just make you melt with how cute they are. They're really good in that way. <laughs> Well, from from a design standpoint, from a visual design standpoint, I'm very curious. How did you find the the updated visuals? Because this this sort of reminds me, and perhaps this is a, a hyper specific Australian reference that <laughs> may not quite uh, um, makes you know make a lot of sense to our US listeners. But um, here in Australia, we had a children's show, uh, have a children's show called Bananas in Pajamas, which was like a 2D animated series which which then uh, I think sometime in the last decade made the transition to a 3D animated look, cool. which was very polarizing. Wasn't it live action to begin with? Just like people <gasps> yes, walking yes, around right. in big suits. I don't just, we need to need to clarify that. So the bananas in pajamas stands don't, you know, come, come for us in the, in the comments. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Because yeah, there was like a, a 2D animated, um, uh, intro to, to the show, oh, but yeah, yes. it was sort of live action and then went to a like 3D animated look, which, uh, to us who are obviously clearly no longer in that demographic, but <laughs> having grown up with the show, we had strong feelings about it. But, uh, uh, the point I'm getting at is Cut the Rope Remastered has had the, a similar visual overhaul in that it was very much a 2D uh, art style that has opted for more of a 3D facelift here. So what, what did you think of this, this visual overhaul? Did it, uh, 
sort of gel with your uh, original experience with Cutler Rope or did you find it a bit jarring or what, what did you think of it all? I guess, yeah, it might be because I was never super, super like massive fan of the Cut the Rope original art style. Like it was great, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is such an incredible amount of personality. And I find that the the new uh, the new art style that's, you know, fully 3D polygonal, polygonal characters, I don't really think it loses any personality in that um in that transition because the whole time the characters have been sort of that sickly sweet sort of, you know, they animate in this almost uh, conceived in a lab means of being adorable and acute to to the point of like, this was so clearly designed to be like that. I Mm. don't think it has any more or less personality. It just is a different way of showing that kind of thing. And I think having it be personally, I kind of prefer the the 3d look because this is this is more a me thing, but when when games kind of remind me of the the look of earlier sort of flash movies, flash games, it kind of feels. I, I don't want to say cheap, but it kind of feels like there's less polish that's been put into a lot of the time. Where in this this three D, you could probably say the same thing because three D can be done well, it can be done badly, it can look polished or otherwise. But I mm. yeah, I don't think it loses anything in the. Uh, in the transition here, if anything, it just makes it kind of nicer to look at because everything animates super smoothly. Being in three D, uh, yeah, I I have no no qualms whatsoever with the with the change. And I think looking at the subreddit, I might be one of the few who thinks that. <laughs> Interesting. I haven't uh, haven't come across that. So uh, it sounds like somewhat divisive in terms of the the visual change. But a little bit. It, it does sound like a you know, a lovely sort of game for those who aren't necessarily looking for a lot of challenge up front. But uh, again, if you're looking for ha- perhaps a bit more engagement or a bit more depth challenge or a bit more uh, fast pace, then perhaps look elsewhere, which mm. there's some uh, pretty great stuff on Apple Arcade. So from one type of puzzle game to another... Uh, one that's, well, I'd say much sort of more well-known outside of the video game space uh, in Sudoku. This one is Good Sudoku Plus, so the Apple Arcade version of Good Sudoku, which I think is less than 12 months old, but came out from Zach Gage and Jack Schlesinger, uh, and it's billed as a Sudoku that loves you. Uh, as a an AI-powered Sudoku that is designed to help you learn the popular puzzle game of Sudoku. And let me tell you, it's it's quite clever. It certainly builds, uh, certainly, uh, what's the word I'm looking like for? It certainly that lives bill, up. It fulfills that. Yeah, it certainly, certainly lives up to its claim of helping you to learn Sudoku and, uh, you know, it's sort of meeting you halfway or three quarters of the way or however far you want the game to meet you, uh, which I think is why it is such a great version of Sudoku and such a great digital realization of the puzzle that it's it's great for beginners like myself who have never really spent a lot of time with Sudoku and great for people who consider them experts and you know are quite experienced with 
you know, doing the, the hardest Sudoku puzzles in the, you know, newspapers or that sort of thing, which listen, listen to me, old man Chris talking about <laughs> newspapers like they're a regular thing consumed these days. Gosh, next you'll be writing letters to the editor. Oh goodness, don't uh, <laughs> don't encourage me. <laughs> but yeah, I um I've been really impressed by all aspects of good Sudoku. Uh from the start, it's it's highly intuitive to play. So in order to to play, uh you input numbers into the Sudoku puzzle which I suppose I should start from the start because perhaps there may be some people who have not played Sudoku or not had much uh, experience with Sudoku. Uh, essentially, it's sort of a grid-based puzzle game uh, that uses the numbers one through to nine. And with uh, with the grid, it's set up in nine large squares. And within each square, there's nine sort of grid spaces uh, within each. And the idea is that each row, uh, each column, each larger square you cannot repeat any of the numbers between one to nine. Uh, they must be in a in a sequence one through to nine. Doesn't matter the order, but they cannot be duplicated within any of those arrangements. So the trick is to try and find uh, how those numbers fit into into a sequence. Mm. And you're given uh, a bunch of numbers to start with, uh, which then gives you the parameters. Uh, from which you're working with to try and figure out, okay, where do numbers one through to nine fit? Which uh, can be trickier than it looks and sounds at times. But for how good Sudoku uh, gets you to do that, you input numbers by tapping on squares or grid spaces and then selecting the number from what is essentially an on-screen numeric keypad like you'd have on your you know full-sized keyboard. And then... Uh, you can also select different types of note-taking tools. So if you've figured out on a particular row or within a, a square of nine grid spaces, you can uh, figure out, okay, so these numbers have already been used, but it could be between, you know, this could either be a one or a four or a nine. So you can then uh, tap on grid spaces and select a, a note-taking tool to then note down, okay, these are the potential numbers that could go here and then you can keep working your way through making notes and that sort of thing. But above all else, it's just a very nice, easy to read interface. It's just very easy to navigate, very easy to input, very clean, uh, which I, I do like a nice clean interface mm. and good Sudoku has that in abundance. And one of the things that's very, very impressive about good Sudoku. And this is where it really comes down to you know, a Sudoku that loves you or a, a Sudoku that sort of meets you at what level of experience you're looking to play it at. There are various assists and visual cues that help you uh, learn the game of Sudoku or just help you navigate individual puzzles. So one example is if you select a number from the numeric keyboard display, then it could, uh, depending on what assist you've got set up, it will show you a visual display that highlights uh, all the squares or all the rows, columns, areas that have already been covered by that number, leaving you with the blank spaces that it could potentially be in, uh, which 
is very, very helpful at a glance and lets you very quickly identify, okay, this is what I'm working with as opposed to sort of getting getting lost in the, the forest, so to speak, of all the other numbers, which can be quite intimidating if you're coming to Sudoku from a, uh, a low level of experience. I definitely um, then- found um, that mm. part specifically quite useful. It was... It was one of those things that you could turn off and on as you felt you needed it, because I think the game, it began showing you all these modes and then kind of leaves them on to begin with. And that focus mode, I it almost felt like, gosh, if I do this the whole time for how what I'm trying to get out of the game, it almost feels like I'm cheating or something, or not really cheating, but yes. letting, the, letting the app itself do half of the work for me. But at the same time, it's something that you can A, turn off if that's not really how you want to play, but also turn back on at a certain point if you are at a point where you're just at your wits end and are never going to get anywhere with this particular puzzle. It's one of a entire set of tools that the game gives you to be to get sort of get back on track if you've found your way off track a little bit. And I find that's just such a it's one only one of many tools, but it's such a smart way of stopping you from feeling lost in a puzzle where otherwise I might have just decided Sudoku is not for me. Having this just way of getting me back into things, just maybe Sudoku is for me. And I'm just, I just need a little bit of a nudge from a person, well, not really a person, from from an app that knows a bit better than me and can compute all of the possible places where a thing can be. Maybe that just takes out that one level of friction that could get me back into playing this particular puzzle. And that was super, super smart. Yeah, Agree 100%. I, similar to you, I did disable a bunch of the assists uh, after not too long because I did find that it was doing a little too much of the work for me in terms of eliminating squares or eliminating grids and then, you know, quickly showing me, okay, these are the only ones that this, you know, that number one can go in or this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a great way for beginners to understand how Sudoku works mm. or also it's it's a way if if you've just got a little bit of time to spend or if you like doing some Sudoku before before bedtime or something like that and you're a bit fatigued and you don't want to do a lot of the 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 busy work of individually counting okay this is you know, there, there are the possibilities that this could go in um then you can switch a bunch of these uh, you know, assists on to let you focus on just some of the, you know, minute details of the puzzle ahead of you. And I found one of the assists or one of the options that I left on because for me, it just sort of streamlined the, the puzzle solving process and let me just focus on the strategy side of things was whenever I tap on a number in the numeric keyboard, it will just highlight where those numbers already exist in the puzzle just so I can very quickly see at a glance, okay, yep, there's four sevens on the board at the moment. That gives me a rough idea of, okay, maybe I can figure out where some sevens are or maybe I'll move on to the the fives where mm. there's already six of them on the on the you know the grid and I can then go from there, which it was you know a very nice way of engaging with the puzzle at a level that I wanted to play it at as opposed to being restricted to 
this this is the puzzle that you're given and you've got to solve it like this. You've got mm. many different tools at your disposal and many different ways that you can play Sudoku uh, at. I think it's um, really interesting in that it uses the fact that it is not a paper-based thing anymore to enhance the way that you can engage with the game. Things like you know, it, it having it highlight where these numbers already are is- uh, it sort of straddles that line a bit where it's computer assisted, but it doesn't feel like it is giving you the solution. It's really just making it easier for you to see what you can, what you could already see. Otherwise, it's just highlighting it. And yeah, once again, that's just super smart way of knowing and using the way that you're actually interacting with this game to your advantage. It's I, I can't say speak enough about how smartly this game uses the the way that it's being played to to be a better or a, depending on maybe it might be more traditional and want to be fully paper so better is maybe a controversial way of putting it but you taking advantage of the of the medium you're using to allow more tools and options is just super super smart yes yes and within that there's multiple different ways of playing good Sudoku because there's several different game modes to play. There's the the classic sort of daily mode where it's a puzzle that everyone who logs in within a 24-hour period is playing the same puzzle. So you can compete on leaderboards in terms of how fast or how efficiently you're completing a puzzle. And I believe that Within a seven-day period, at the start of the week, the puzzles start off relatively straightforward, but I think then towards the end of the week, they're more intermediate, advanced, expert-level puzzles as well, yeah. which I, I didn't I didn't engage with that a lot because I was just keen to work through the, the, the puzzles uh, in, in good Sudoku at, at my own pace. But then there's a, a heart-based arcade version, which... Uh, I didn't play a lot of, but it punishes you if you make a mistake. So if you uh, yep. put a number in the wrong grid, then it'll take away a heart and, you know, essentially like a life-based system. And, you know, you keep going until you run out of hearts, mm. which is a, a cool and clever way of going about it as well. And then there's also an improve mode, which is sort of like a an, uh, an interactive tutorial and way of learning Sudoku and various techniques and ways of taking notes so that it uh, makes sense or, you know, ways of taking notes so you can quickly identify, okay, these are the numbers that I should be focusing on here. Uh, and then, yeah, various uh, techniques, which I found some of them rather rather saucy sounding, <laughs> such as the, the naked single and the naked double, Ooh. which make of that what you will. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of puzzle-solving techniques to learn as well. So there's so much to engage with here mm. at, um, you know, so many different levels with good Sudoku. It's just a, a very smart Sudoku app and very smart puzzle app in general that really lives up to what it claims to do on the box. So It is good, and I, it loves you. Yeah, yeah it, it does. I, I really can't say any any more than that because what it says in the description is exactly what it does, <laughs> which I think that's probably the highest possible praise you can heap upon something is that it does exactly what it claims. Yeah, I think- I'm sounding a bit like a broken record, but I, I really love this. This improved stuff, especially, is 
I love how much this game lets you meet it on whichever level you want it to, whether it is whether you're a beginner, like it sounds like both of us are. But the fact that I saw that improve section and it's got all of these funky sounding techniques, which I'm sure are just part of Sudoku culture that has developed over the decades. And often when cultures are like that, they do come up with these weird, strange names that are you know, sometimes have a very specific meaning. Sometimes it's a bit of a joke, but it's just, I, it would have seemed so difficult to get into if I was just someone who wanted to play Sudoku in the newspaper and I wanted to find out about advanced techniques. I would either have to work them out myself because I don't have any friends who I can talk to about Sudoku techniques. Or if I went online, I'd find all of these strange names and a million different websites with a million different ways that they want to do it. Having it all in this game and giving it This is a strange metaphor or a strange comparison, but bear with me. It felt a little bit like a fighting game with its tutorial, like combo tutorials. You'll be given here are these strange techniques with funny sounding names like a a Shin Shin Ryoku punch or something along those lines. And it will tell you how to how to pull it off and put you in a situation to to let you play around with where it will be potentially useful and how to execute it reliably in that situation. And it's once again one of those things that takes advantage of the fact that this is a digital recreation of an existing thing and lets you just try those things again. You can't do that on paper without, you know, erasing it and going back over it again and then you erase it so much that your paper, you know, tears through or something like that. And like the note-taking stuff, it lets you it has very focused kinds of note-taking things where on, once again, on paper, you might have these little techniques where you'll note down what potential numbers could be in this block. And as you gradually uh, like cancel them out, you'll cross them out and realize, oh, when there's only one left, that must be what it is. But it does it in a way that is, you know, because it's digital, it can be non, non-destructive non to the play area, for example. It's just the the way that this takes advantage of the fact that it is on a digital device is it's just astounding to me i love it it's so so good and the the fighting game analogy is a funny one because considering zach gage uh zach gage's reputation for making games based on classic properties or games or puzzles or whatever with a distinct spin on them. I would not put it beyond Zach to create a puzzle fighting game hybrid. So <laughs> that's that's your next challenge, Zach. Uh, you and um, uh, you and old mate Jack can make a, a puzzle fighting game and I've got full confidence it's going to be brilliant based on your previous catalogue of uh, wonderful, weird, and wonderful developments. Like, what, what's um? Isn't there a really bad chess or something yes, like that? Where yeah. um, Zach Gage made that one, and it's you know a bunch of uh, chess variants, or you've got to try and play chess, but you're playing with different puzzle pieces each time, all that sort of stuff. You might have like four four rooks. Or- yeah, I think the pieces are different every single time. So uh, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't put it past. So. Yeah, I think it's fair to say we're both pretty big fans of good Sudoku Plus and being a Plus game on Apple Arcade means you can access it you know, via a subscription, no additional costs. But even for those who don't have Apple Arcade, you can just grab the... Uh, the the base version of Good Sudoku, which I think it's a free download and then 
like a one-time in-app purchase to unlock the whole thing or get rid of ads or something like that. So it's even you know a very easy sell for those who don't have Apple Arcade as well. So yeah, uh, wrap your mitts around that. Yeah, I do love that we're getting some of these games that we can talk about and recommend to people who aren't necessarily on the service. Like, let's be honest, you're probably interested in Apple Arcade if you're listening to this, but if you're not already subscribed, you can you can try this and see see if you like it. It doesn't have to be part of the subscription, and I like that kind of flexibility. Indeed. And that brings us to the end of episode 36 of the Mobile Arcade Club, which, of course, means it's time to have a quick look at what we'll be playing for the next episode. So, Stephen, what's uh, what have you got on the cards? Well, I've been seeing people in my sort of wider social circles jumping on Lego Builder's Journey. I believe it's just got released on some other platforms and especially on PC where it's got all the, the funky ray tracing stuff and people are just astounded by how good it looks. And I remember being quite surprised by how nice it looks on iOS when I was seeing, you know, some trailers in the App Store before, but I've never really given it a try. So I thought, what what better time to give it a try than now? So I will try and create my own path in the Lego Builder's journey uh, and see how I go with uh, Lightbrick Studios creation. Sounds good. And I will be checking out, uh, in the spirit of checking out some classics, I'll be checking out Leo's Fortune Plus, which is by Leet, that is 1337, uh, and Senri LLC, based in Los Angeles. Uh, so it's an adventure platformer where you find your stolen gold uh, in what is a 2014 classic, which I believe won uh, an Apple Design Award at the um, the World uh, Developers Conference, uh, whatever it's called, Worldwide Developers Conference uh, in 2014. And this is one that I missed the first time around, so I'm very keen to suss out Leo's fortune for the first time. And, yeah, that's uh, that's us for the next episode. So please do join us uh, again next time for episode 37, and thank you for joining us this time. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you had fun and maybe found something useful. If you did enjoy the show, we'd love it if you told a mobile game-loving friend about it or gave us a review in Apple Podcasts. It all helps more people find the show. You can follow the show on Twitter, at MArcadeClub, where we'll talk about games from upcoming episodes, and each of us hosts are happy to chat gaming too. Our handles are in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll chat again next time.